Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Let me welcome you as well very warmly today. It is a nice uh, day for you to be joining us. If it's your first time, if you're new to us, we're beginning a new sermon series today, the very first sermon in the book of Amos. So I want to invite you uh, to turn to that, to find that in a Bible, uh, whether you're using a digital one or uh, a pew Bible. There are lots of Bibles around on the windowsills and up front. You will need one this morning. It will help you hugely uh, to have that open in front of you, the book of Amos. And if you're using that church Bible, it is page 700. And 64, page 764 is where to turn if you're using the large print, uh, page 908. And a very short reading, at least initially this morning. We're going to read other bits of the book of Amos in just a moment, but uh, our attention today is chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. How not to hear a prophet? Let's hear God's word together. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Amen. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven. We were all going direct the other way. Those are perhaps the most famous opening lines, aren't they, in all of English literature. Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities. A picture of complete opposites existing side by side. Two cities, London and Paris. And in those two cities, totally opposing things existing at the same time. Light and darkness, hope and despair. I want to give you this morning, friends, a tale of two kingdoms. We are traveling back in time to the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and back in time to the days of Jeroboam, king of Israel. And to both these kingdoms and to both these kings, along comes Amos the prophet to say to these kings at one and the same time, they are in the best of times and the worst of times. Light and darkness are here in your kingdoms, O kings, side by side. You have everything before you, Uzziah, Jeroboam. You have everything before you and you have nothing before you. Heading for heaven, 
you are in fact heading for hell. Welcome to Amos, friends. Not the cheeriest of prophets. Somebody said to me earlier in the week when I said this is what we're doing, which is true. But they said, oh, the protein in here. Oh, the riches. And I want to take us into these first two verses that I just read for us. These first two windows this morning, I want to take us into these two as a window for the whole book. I want to whet your appetite today for Amos. That, that, that is my aim, a very simple aim for today. I want you to leave saying to yourself, I want to hear more. That's all I want to do. Look at, the, look at the first four words, the opening four words of the book, the words of Amos. Words. And so I want to get us into this today by showing us how to listen to these words and how not to listen to this prophet. What are you going to do with Amos's words? As we listen to him over the coming weeks together, there are right ways to hear him. And there are wrong ways to hear him. And we should begin like this this morning because the book of Amos actually has a response to his words recorded for us in the book. There is actually a test case, an example for us. So in some of the prophets in the Old Testament, you don't get that. You just get all their invective hurled at the people. No clue how people responded to it. So Amos is part of the Old Testament known as the book of the twelve. Twelve minor prophets. Minor, not because they're less important, but because simply they're shorter than uh, the, the great beasts of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. And in some of the minor prophets, you just get the prophet speaking. You have no idea what becomes of their words. We're left to wonder how people heard them. But Amos is different. Amos gives us an example how somebody heard him. And it is an example to us of how not to hear him. So listen to Amos, friends, but don't listen like this, what we're about to see. And what I'm going to do this morning is simply give us lots of examples, several examples of how not to hear him, negative points. And then also lots of examples of how we should hear him. I have no idea how many points I have this morning. They're all jumbled up in there somewhere. How not to and how to. And I simply want these things to be guide rails for the book, for looking at the whole book. Every single thing that we're going to see today, I'm giving it to you in silhouette, outline form. In the coming weeks, you can come back and color in all the details. So here it is, the number one way not to hear a prophet. Look again at verse 1. Simply notice the opening words, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. I want you to keep that in mind and turn forward to chapter 7, verse 8. Chapter 7, verse 8. Here are some of his words. The words that he saw. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? Chapter 7, verse 8. I said, I see a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. 
I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise against the king that you met in chapter 1, verse 1, the house of Jeroboam. I will rise against him with the sword. There are his words. How not to hear him? Look at verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words, for this is what Amos has said, Jeroboam, you will die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, eat bread there, prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel. For it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Oh, friends, there there are so many ways in there not to hear a prophet. Do you see it? Here is what not to do when God sends you his word in the words of the prophet. Here is the main thing this morning not to do. Number one, never ever assume you are above the messenger. Never assume you are above the messenger. Let let me spell it out for us in black and white. I want you to get to the end of this series in Amos, knowing I do not want to be like Amaziah. For what is he doing here? He is putting his fingers in his ears. He is trying to get rid of this word, isn't he? What does he do in verse 12? Flee, leave, stop speaking, Amos. Some of you this morning might be just about to do this. You're you're right on the edge of this. Maybe unbeknown to anybody else today, today you know is the very last day you plan to ever be in church again. You know, over the years at the start of new university terms, I have met moist-eyed parents who bring their fresher son and their fresher daughter to church. And you can see it in the parents' faces. They are longing for them to hear the word of the Lord. And after Sunday number one, when the parent leaves, we never see the student again. Now, maybe they're in another church in the city, which is wonderful. We pray often here for lots of churches in our city. Maybe they're never seen in a church again for the rest of their lives. Maybe you're here like that today. You're saying to yourself inside, please never, ever speak to me again about this. I want to urge you today, friends, please do not do that. For somewhere at the heart of that attitude, that heart attitude, somewhere in there is pride. Look at it here in verse 13. Never again prophesy at Bethel. Amos, you don't know where you are. Look, it is the king's sanctuary. And it is a temple of the kingdom. Look who Amos is in verse 14. Amos answered and said to Amaziah, he's saying, you're right, it is a kingdom. I'm not a prophet nor a prophet's son. I'm a a herdsman, a dresser of sycamore figs. I'm a shepherd, but... The Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. 
See what Amaziah is doing? You are in the king's palace, Amos. You are down here in the pecking order. You're a a herdsman, a, a country bumpkin. The king is up there in the temple. Who do you think you are bringing him this word? Who do you think you are addressing the king like this? See, that is exactly chapter 1, verse 1, how Amos begins his prophecy by locating it in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and Jeroboam, king of Israel. We are meant to say, as we read those opening verses, because we know our Old Testament so well, we are meant to say, ah, okay, these are the best of times. Those two kings had it good. Uzziah and Jeroboam had long, prosperous reigns. They they each expanded their territories. They consolidated their wealth. The royal houses knew peace and prosperity under their reigns. The great enemy of Assyria had not yet grown strong. And all was well in those lands. All was well. For wealth is always a sign of blessing, right? Right? The land is peaceful, so God must be pleased, right? And along comes a shepherd, a simple shepherd. I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. And what he's doing, Amos is doing, he is poking the bloated bellies of these kings with the word of God. He's saying to them, all is not well in your land. I need to tell you, Jeroboam, I need to tell you, Uzziah, it looks like the best of times to you in your palaces, but out there in the land among the people, it is the worst of times. You need to wake up, O king. And friends, the only indication we get of a response to Amos' words is there in chapter 7, verse 13. Never again prophesy. Dressed like that, Amos? Smelling like that? No, 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 away with you. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know this morning it is It is the very essence of the way God works to take the lowly and the despised and the have-nots in this world and the are-nots in this world and the foolish things of this world to preach to the high and mighty and the haves and the have-even-mores to warn them and to say to them, you might be experiencing the best of times, but if you are not seeking the Lord, you are in the worst of times. Amos is saying to us this morning, you need, you need to hear the word of the Lord, whoever speaks it to you, however it comes. God's word is not tied to the mouth of religious professionals. Hope you know that. You see, the, the point of these opening verses is to say, isn't it, that Amos is the wrong man. He hasn't been to theological college. He's not a priest. He, he doesn't have any royal blood in his veins. He has the wrong accent. He's from Tekoa, the, the deep rural redneck south. See how it works? He's a businessman with a southern accent, and he is preaching to the elite, the establishment. A shepherd with the sheer brass-necked audacity to say to the powers that be, can I have a word? 
Will you hear him, friends? Amaziah has decided, hasn't he? Not a chance, son, on your bike, leave. What will you do? Here's the question. Can you put yourself under the word this morning? Can you put yourself under this word even when the preacher is boring or the music isn't to your liking or the welcome team didn't spot you as you came in and nobody shook your hand and there's a thousand things wrong with the environment. Things could be better than they are. Do you know that in the foolishness of preaching, God's wisdom is heard? It's here, open for us. Here's why it matters, friends. Come a little bit deeper with me. Number one, as we begin, Amos, never assume you are above the messenger. Number two, we will not hear this prophet unless we can see what he sees. We will not hear this prophet unless we can see what he sees. Go back to chapter one, verse one again. Notice notice what I've just said. We won't hear him. We won't hear him unless we see with him. The words of Amos 1 verse 1, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw. Did you just look at that again? Isn't that strange? The words of Amos, which he saw. The words of Amos, which he heard, or the words of Amos, which we spoke. That's what we'd expect to read, isn't it? But no, the words which he saw. See, in the days of Uzziah and in the days of King Jeroboam, friends, Amos looks at their kingdoms. He looks at them. He he studies them. He walks around them with his camera, taking pictures and posting them on, on his Instagram page. And he arrives at church for us this morning. And what he does in the book of Amos is he spreads all the photos out on the table. That, that big table that's out there in the foyer where you can pick up house group guides and all the rest of it. Imagine out in that foyer, Amos is just spreading out all his photos that he's, that he's taken. And you arrive for church dressed like you are in your Sunday best, in your best clothes. And there's that smelly shepherd in the foyer again. And he just spreads out these photos for you to look at. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Turn to chapter 6, verse 1. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. And to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. You see, wealth makes you comfortable, doesn't it? Material security, financial prosperity, days of plenty, the best of times. What does that do to your moral compass? I mean, look at the wealth in these pictures. Chapter 6, verse 4. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall. They sing idle songs to the sound of the harp. And like David, they invent for themselves instruments of music. They drink wine in bowls. They anoint themselves with the finest oils, but they are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Oh, friends, it is the best of times. We had everything before us. We had, we had more than we could ever ask for. We're drinking our wine from bowls. That's what Amos could see. But you know what, friends? It is not all he could see. It's not all he could see. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Now, this is stinging. This is addressing the women in Israel. 
Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, and who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Ah, what are these Israelites doing from their ivory beds and their couches? What are they doing in the best of times? You see it in chapter 4, verse 1. They are creating the worst of times for others. Oh, the worst of times for others. Look at chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, because you trample on the poor. This is Amos speaking to God's people, not the nations, to God's people. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine, for I know how many are your transgressions, how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous. You take a bribe and you turn aside the needy in the gate." Brothers and sisters, one of the reasons that we're going to look at the book of Amos, I said this on email this week, didn't I, out to the church family. One of the reasons we're going to look at it is that as we now take up a city center location for the Trinity family, some of us are already seeing in our city things that we had not seen before. We knew these things were out there, but we hadn't seen them with our own eyes. And now the suffering of our city is right on our very doorstep. It is literally coming through our doors. It is ringing the doorbell Monday to Friday of this building. And we are facing, aren't we, in God's kindness, a new opportunity to use our location as an x-ray lens to help us see what God can see out there. What God can see all around us. It's what Amos is doing, isn't he here? He's saying to these kings, my shepherd background means I can see things you rich northerners can't see. You've stopped seeing them. You cannot see that your religion has become rote and routine and ritual. And it is not real. How not to hear a prophet, friends. Be blind to what he can see. Close your eyes to what is happening in the world. Close your eyes to what is really happening in a church. Shut your ears to his words and close your eyes to his Instagram page. Those images are too awful. I can't, I can't look at them. Change the channel on the TV. Do that, friends, and you can end up outside the kingdom and away from Christ. Amos is a book to say to us as God's people, friends, there are some things that happen out there in the world that God loves more than some of the things that happen in a church. I want to say that again. Amos says to us, there are some things that are happening in the world that God loves more than some of the things that happen in a church. Look at chapter 5, verse 21. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters. 
and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. You see it, friends? What does Amos see? He sees a world of injustice out there that God's people are indifferent about and they're actually participating in. They are harming the poor. And yet God's people think, but I'm in church. That's where the action is. No, says God, let justice roll. I love justice in the world and I hate routine and ritual and empty formalized religion. That verse 24, 5 verse 24, let justice roll down like waters. We're going to look at this over the coming weeks. What does that mean for us? What does it not mean for us? But you see what these verses are saying? How not to hear a prophet assume that everything must be okay between God and I because I'm in church. I'm there twice on a Sunday. Fancy that. How not to hear a prophet assume that how I live Monday to Saturday matters less to God than what I do on a Sunday. No, says Amos. No, it doesn't. Friends, you see, the challenge of Amos that we're going to see together is this. Here's the challenge. Amos could see that reality was, in fact, the opposite of what it seemed. What was real was the opposite of what it appeared to be. The best of times, oh, for the rich, yes, maybe, but in fact, for the poor, the worst of times. The best of times for the church. Look, the numbers are going through the roof. The the praise and worship is electric. The preaching is excellent. The finances are healthy. Everything looks amazing before us. And Amos sees it is the opposite of how it appears. Chapter 5, verse 5 There is no seeking of God. Seeking from the heart, not merely with the lips. Chapter 4, verse 2, the Lord has sworn by his holiness. There is no love of God's holiness. Chapter 5, verse 8, there is no utter abasement before his majesty. No trembling before him. No deep spiritual reality. There is none of that among these people here. There is no sucker for the poor and the broken. And oh, it looks so good. And it is all so, so bad. Can I put it like this, friends? You are hearing Amos rightly when you can see what he sees. You're hearing Amos rightly when you can see what he sees and you are seeing what Amos sees when you love the things that God loves. That's it. You know you're seeing like he is when you love the things that God loves. Do we love the things that God loves? Do you know what that is in this book? In one word, it is justice. Justice. I, I think the book of Amos, friends, as we look at it together, it may be how some of our younger people, our students in our midst, our younger folks, it may be how some of our younger folks shake up some of our older folk. I think you see in general terms, look at chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. I think in general terms, it is my generation, obviously a very young man still at 45, But I think in general terms, it is my generation onwards 
who end up like this, don't we, in chapter 6, verse 1. We are at ease in Zion. Is that you? You're the kind of person who knows what you think and why you think it. You've got your beliefs. You've got everything in order. You've been around the block. You know how you like your church to be, how you like your minister to be. And you haven't taken on anything new in years, haven't changed your mind on anything, never looked at something afresh. You haven't reviewed your giving for years. You are at ease in Zion. Low cost, low commitment. And maybe Amos is the book for you as we, as we watch our students and young people who I think just seem to connect with this. There is a passion for justice that runs in their bones. I want to encourage us as a whole church family, young and old. I want us to consider what it means for justice to roll down like waters. And for that to matter to us. And can I, friends, I I hope in true Amos fashion, can I just turn the tables a little bit now on our young folks? Can, Can I turn the tables to our justice crusaders, our mercy ministry majors? If Amos challenges those who are at ease in Zion, chapter 6, verse 1, friends, he is just as challenging to those who think that being hungry and thirsty in the world is the worst thing that can happen to you. For it is not. Oh, it's not. It really is not. There is something worse. Do you know what the greatest danger here in Amos facing God's people is? It is always the greatest danger. It's there in chapter 8, verse 11. Turn to chapter 8, verse 11. There is something worse than being hungry for food and parched for fluids. Chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Oh, there is something worse, friends. To be hungry and thirsty is terrible, yes, but to be starved of the word of God is worse. To be out of your mind, you see it, going to and fro, longing to find God and longing to hear God. And God has sealed up the Bible and closed it, just put himself out of earshot. God does that, you see, when he sends his prophets again and again and again. And when they speak and they speak and they speak and the people put their fingers in their ears and priests send them away and say, no more, we will not listen. Eventually, God removes the prophets and he closes the pulpits. It happens when God gives a nation churches in every town and every village and every public square and the Bible is read and open, but the people no longer care. Or they're there every Sunday listening and they're quite enjoying it actually, but come Wednesday, the way that they treat their, empl- their employees, you would never know they've ever had anything to do with a church. God looks at that and says, the time is up. The church will close. The pulpit will fall silent. 
Brothers and sisters, you're going to hear me say this again and again and again. As, as a church family, as we look long and hard at our mercy ministries, and we've started to do that last Friday evening. We had an elders and deacons meal together, just beginning to work out what does mercy ministry look like here in this location as we move out of here, God willing, into our new building in Queen Street, a few yards up the road. You are going to hear me say again and again, may God spare us. Oh, may he spare us food and drink flowing from the halls of our church, but there being a famine in the pulpit. For here is how, friends, here is how to hear the prophet. I've given you lots of negatives, haven't I? But here is how to hear him. When Amos speaks, God speaks in all his awesome majesty. Come to church, friends, to listen to God speak. Not me, not Will, not Amos, but God himself speaking. Look at the beauty of the image in chapter 1, verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 2, And Amos said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn. The top of Carmel withers. In his opening prayer, Will prayed about the wonder of the fact that God is the Lord. See that name there in chapter 2, verse 2? The name in capital letters, it it displays the character of God. It's the covenant name that he gave to Moses. It's the name he used to reveal himself to Moses. Who should I say has sent me, Moses said. God said, the great I am has sent you. I am who I am. It's the God who showed himself to Moses in the burning bush. You know what the point of the burning bush is? The whole point of the burning bush is that fire was burning, but it was not consuming the bush. So normally when fire burns, it needs oxygen and raw materials, doesn't it? This fire is burning to show it is self-existent fire. It is not dependent on anything or anyone else. It is God's own nature on display. I am who I am. I do not need food or creatures or anything to exist. I am the Lord. And so as Moses comes close, he has to take off his sandals, doesn't he? The place he's standing is holy ground. You cannot come close to a God like this and be safe. You cannot come close to a God like this and live. And so what Amos is doing in chapter 1, verse 2, is he's saying, look, this God, this covenant God, when he sees what is happening out there in the world, we're going to look at it next week, the terrible crushing injustices of the world. And look worse than that, when the covenant God sees those same sins out there in the world, in here, in his church, oh, that is worse. When he sees his people doing what the world is doing, That contact between our sin and God's holiness, what does he say in chapter 1, verse 2? It comes out like a roar. The contact between our sin and God's holiness is like the roar of a lion as he moves towards his sinful world and his sinful people. You know, one one of the best phrases I ever heard years ago to describe a prophet, these prophets, Amos, Hosea, Joel, uh, all the minor prophets, they are God's covenant guard dogs. 
God's covenant guard dogs, the covenant of grace that God made with his people that he expressed in law from Mount Sinai. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. See, when you break that law, God sends you prophets and they bark at you. It's what happens, isn't it? When you trespass, you cross a line, you go onto someone else's territory, the dog barks. Amos is going to bark at us, friends, week after week, at these people as they trespass against the law. And in fact, Amos says, more than being a guard dog, chapter 1, verse 2, God is a barking, roaring lion. You know, friends, there are a thousand movements for justice out there. A thousand movements for justice, but there is only one ultimate source of justice. And that is when the lion roars for the whole earth. See it in chapter, in verse 2, the, the point of saying that the pastures of the shepherds mourn. That's the south of the country where Amos is from. But the top of Carmel withers way in the far north of the country. It's like saying from, from Devon and Dorset to the very top of Ben Nevis, when God speaks, oh friends, oh church, when God speaks, we need to listen. I want to say to you today that those of you who want to give your lives fighting for justice rightly, make sure it is the justice that flows from the holiness of God that has the gospel at the heart of it, that is able to call all sin, sin. For look where this this lion roars from. He utters his voice from Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, the place where there is a temple. The place where there is in the temple a holy place. The place where in the holy place there is a most holy place, the holy of holies. The place where in the holy of holies there is an altar where blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins. You know, friends, that in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, in the altar, on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat, that is where justice rolled down like waters on the head of an innocent substitute to pay the price for sin. I love these words. Listen to this. We today in the 21st century read the fierce judgments of God in Amos. And we are unsure. How can we present this to the world around us or even defend it in an age where right and wrong are considered dubious? Where judgment and justice is an alien word. But we must remember that the God of burning holiness who thundered his indignation through Amos and the prophets, is the God who bore his own judgment at Calvary. It was love that cried no to the society of Uzziah and Jeroboam. And it was love that cried yes to the plan of salvation before the creation of the world. That uncompromising justice an unquenchable love met at the cross 
in one man who cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The judge is judged and is at rest in order that we might have a future as well as a past. The altar, friends, the altar is always the best of times, the worst of times, in one place, and ultimately in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on one man. The best of times for us, the worst of times for him, as justice rolls down, to us his people mercy flows. So may God help us to see, may we see and hear the lion roar. Amen.